Hi, and welcome to the GNC Research Project. I'm Michelle Hamilton-Page, and the episodes to come are essentially my doctoral research in podcast format. I used Grounded Theory to talk to 25 emerging leaders about what it is to be visibly queer in the workplace today. We'll talk about contested terminology like gender nonconforming. We'll talk about what it is to be non-binary, lesbian, and queer in the workplace today. I look forward to your feedback and to continuing the discourse about what this reality is like and what we're learning about what it is to be a true leader that can hold paradoxes. So welcome back to the GNC Research Project podcast. I'm going to do that again. That's a tongue twister. <laughs> I might have to keep that in. Welcome back to the GNC Research Project podcast. Uh, I'm here again, Michelle Hamilton-Page, with Kath Wright, who is uh, going through this research with me. Um, and looking at what it is that uh, the, the findings are revealing, but also asking salient questions. Um, Kat's been along for the, the ride for me with the research and actually helped me put the call out to find participants. And uh, so the, this podcast is the two of us sort of parsing things out. And on this one, we're going to take a deeper dive into some of, the, some of the concepts that we introduced in the first podcast. We're talking a bit about identity and we're talking about embodiment in this podcast. Welcome back, Kath. Thank you. Thanks for having me back. Thanks for being here. Um, so we we talked a bit about the the call for participants. You asked in the last uh, podcast about how it was that uh, that we found folks, and that's sort of the place that I wanted to start. So thank you for sharing this far and wide. Okay, so on the last podcast, we talked about um, how you uh, found people or the kind of um, uh, whether you were looking for sort of cross sections of people and, and who was joining in in the, uh, the research, but how did you actually what what did the call for participants look like? What did you do? So the call for participants went out over social media, it went out over Instagram, it went out over Facebook. Um, I think that's pretty much it. I don't think, it, did I tweet it? I might've tweeted it. But basically what it was is looking for people that sort of self-identified into the call for uh, participants. So I'm gonna read it to you so that it, we're just really clear. I'll sort of quickly yeah, go yeah. through it. So the title is like Butch-GNC Lesbian Research Project. Aims to learn from the lived experiences and insight of gender non-conforming lesbians in the workplace. Most of the research on the lesbian, gay, bisexual, and transsexual experience in the workplace frames the lesbian experience as a negotiation of choice to come out or stay closeted, or whether or not to disclose sexual orientation. My research problem asks, how do gender nonconforming lesbians negotiate the workplace from a place of visibility? This is a doctoral research project where I'm recruiting approximately 25 individuals who identify as gender nonconforming lesbians to be part of a one-hour interview over Zoom. The insight provided by participants will form the basis of information that will address the gap in our understanding about the experience of gender nonconforming lesbians in the workplace. So basically what I wanted to do was say, like this is the segment of identities that are part of the 2S LGBTQ plus spectrum that I'm, um, that I'm looking at in this research project. And again, it maps onto my identity too. So I tried to use language that got at like, I use the term lesbian, I use the term butch, I use the term gender nonconforming. I didn't use the term non-binary in this, but it absolutely came up in the, in the research questions and in the research um, responses as well. Uh, so the two things that I'm really trying to get at with my, my actual, re so when I do ethics and go through all of the approvals with my university to get the project going, there are two questions that I was looking to answer. So one is, um, how do gender nonconforming lesbians negotiate the workplace from a place of visibility? So that's, that 
embedded that right into the call for participants. So it's like, here's what I'm looking for. Um, and then secondly, looking at, at research that will fill a gap in critical human resource theory and queer access and equity theory regarding workplace experience of queer, non-binary, butch lesbians. So that goes out into the world. And then if people read themselves into those, that identity as it's sort of spread, like spelled out, then that's what it is that I'm looking for people to respond to. So the one of the cool things that um, when we had last podcast and you asked me a question, it mapped onto the kind of questions that I asked when I, when I first met with people, got on the Zoom call, um, which was to tell me a little bit about why you wanted to get involved in this study. That was the first question. Okay. Yeah. Or what drew you to it? And I got sort of like more informal as I, as I went along. And that was sort of a prompt for people to um, self-identify into what about this study um, mm -hmm. feels like you looks like your identity calls you to want to participate in it um, talks about you know your starts from a place of examining your experience that's meaningful to you and that's really what I was what I was looking to do with that first mm -hmm. interview question and so I'm presuming um, when people contacted you it wasn't or maybe it was did people come across like that they were like applying for a, a place in taking part in the research did people just contact you and say I saw this I'd love to take part did you do any sort of screening or because I'm also presuming it's not for you to tell people whether they should be identifying as something or not yeah. if they've said I want to take part yeah. then they identify so how how did they identify themselves when they got in touch or did they at all or was it just no yeah so that's a two-parter so one is um uh anyone that said they wanted to be part of the study i said absolutely until i hit 25 and i uh, was trying to schedule people in and you know there were a couple people that i didn't get a chance to interview which i would love to uh, i'd love to circle back to them there were a few people that um when we first started talking they were concerned that they might not be like queer enough or fit into things in a particular way which was really interesting and and i just said to them if you if you feel like this speaks to your experience then it speaks to your experience and i want to talk to you and and in the making meaning of how it speaks to your experience or what that looks like um that's where the research sort of arises right that's where where we we create what it is that we've got so yeah people did absolutely identify um and 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 it really varied in terms of how they did so their folks identified as gender non-conforming they identified as non-binary they identified as lesbian they identified as queer um some folks were agender some people um you know they, they sort of really varied in terms of even the pronouns that they used some used she her some used she he some used they them um and that and that varied across the 25 participants as well um, but this intersection that I was trying to take a look more deeply at, this embodiment of being visibly queer, what does that mean or look like for you? How do you identify? Um, and having a gender identity that, that signals queer, but that is also visible around gender. So this entwined gender identity and sexual orientation is the thing that I was really trying to look at. And originally what I thought I was going to be examining is like the, the, the nexus or the X that we've talked about of misogyny and homophobia. And what it ended up being is sort of a three piece of that nexus is 
the homophobia is for sure there, but the gender identity and the misogyny around that sort of play together in terms of being the visible part. So there's something about showing up looking non-binary that sort of twigs people to one, your gender identity is not binary. And two, behind that, it's showing me also something about your sexual orientation. So these things are entwined or combined. So if the first reaction is I'm uncomfortable with your gender identity, whether it's in like a liminal space, like a bathroom in the workplace or a bathroom when I'm traveling or showing up in an interview, then that's the first thing that something is not sitting right with specifically Western culture in the way that we sort of talk about binaries. And then the second thing is that gender identity visibility absolutely raises a second flag around sexual orientation and being queer. And so that's where these interesting questions would happen because if someone said, if I said, you know, how the next question or the pieces are how comfortable are you being out at work? People would say very often, what do you mean? I'm totally out. I've always been out. Like, it's not about like, or when did you come out? Or those guys, I've, I've, I've always been out at work. I show up to interviews looking like this. Um, so whether I'm comfortable or not is not the question. The question is like, I just am out, right? It doesn't, my comfort is not, it's not what's at issue here. I show up in an interview and I look like this. Um, and then it became a question of like, what kind of language do you use when you're confirming to people that you're queer. So what was really fascinating is very often if we started going down that road around sexual orientation and out, and I'd say like, you know, when did you first know you were queer or questions like that? The answer would be, I've been a tomboy since I was really young. And I would pause and it's like, okay, well, that's gender identity. That's not sexual orientation. And I asked you about first knowing when you were, when you were queer um, or lesbian. And the response would be, um, I was, I was this. So this really fascinating stuff starts to come up in terms of this. It's almost like it's cyclical, right? It's like I ask about gender identity and I get sexual orientation or I ask about sexual orientation. I get gender yeah. identity. And that's where this concept of um, gender identity and sexual orientation in non-binary lesbians being like a helix started to, to take place. It's like I'd pull one thread and the other would come with it. And so this yeah. is where on one part of the helix, the, the gender identity is there, and the other part of the helix, the sexual orientation is there. And between each of those are the ways in which um, the people that I interview embody this identity, show up looking like this identity, and are visual, visually giving cues to, I am non-binary, and secondarily, um, I have a queer sexual orientation that you're, you're aware of as a result of, of, my, of my presentation. And how much, it's interesting because in a, in another part of my life, I have to do like a, a monthly interview of somebody um, which goes into a written publication every month. And it's about a dozen questions that we ask. Um, and I always find with the first question, I never get the answer to the question I've actually asked. Right. Um, and I, I feel that is because the person that I'm interviewing has put such importance on actually having this voice mm -hmm. and being able to put something across mm -hmm. that it's, it's almost that first time they've actually been given that opportunity to have their voice and to have their say, everything comes out, whether it's the question or not, they have in their mind, these are all the things I need to tell you. And it all comes out in that first kind of question. And, and did you get that sense as well that 
people, some of the people you were speaking to, that this was their first chance to the voice and it was just coming out whether they were answering what you were asking or not. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there is no question that uh, where there is a gap in the research and, and uh, uh, you know, an interest in being part of the, of the actual interview process, people were saying, this is important work, I want to be part of it. I never see calls for this. This is something that I want to be involved mm -hmm. with. Yeah, and then also because it, it, it isn't, I haven't read studies that look at this. There's one study that looks at um, what was happening in this chat group, a, a lesbian chat group online about what they wear to interviews, that, that I've seen that study in terms of looking at how you navigate, do you try to look more like a binary to get a job? So that absolutely came up. Um, there's no question we can talk a bit more about that. Yeah, this, this idea of being asked this question and not having been asked this before. And some of the folks talked about like for being one of the most visibly queer identities, so little is done to research or ask us what our experience has been. Um, that it was an important conversation for folks to be prepped for and do thinking about. But there was also a lot, there were a lot of situations where people started talking and had, um, aha moments right where they were like i hadn't ever like i've been thinking about this i had people prep for it and have notes and stuff that they wanted to say specifically since i was talking about workplace and i would ask them about their trajectory like some people in their 60s like what was it like when you started out from your first job if you want i'm going to ask you across your career how this has played out for you in the various ways that you were working and people that were younger that have you know started working at fast food restaurants or um, or, or car rental places. And so that whole, getting that whole spectrum. So they would come having thought about what's it been like, at what point were they visibly queer? Every single one of them was like my workplace from the time that I was young, I was out, I was visible. This is my gender identity and sexual orientation. Sometimes I adjusted my hair or my clothing more to be more in line with being in, in these cases more non-binary. Mm -hmm. So most of the cases having been socialized and raised as, as young women, in most cases, there are one or two incidents where people are like, I was kind of raised genderless. Like I've always kind of been this, but having been raised in one particular way and finding themselves moving towards an identity that was more non-binary, which means that they're not trying to fit into male or female. But most of the time it means wearing more clothing that is looks more male identified um, in, in looking at that, that, um, not that binary world of the workplace. Um, so yeah, so like making my clothes and my hair start aligning, clothes and hair are two great codes that show up a lot of this, a lot of the responses. But as I get more comfortable with my, my identity, then I'm starting to adjust my hair in most cases to shorter. And then my clothing is more um, wearing what would be more aligned with um, what, what we would say men would wear in the workplace. Yeah. Okay. And did you have anyone that started the interviews with you that found that they weren't able to complete them or as hard as some of them were, were people determined to, they wanted their voice and they wanted to take part and get through it? How, how did that go? Uh, no, there was no issue in terms of, of stopping the, the interview and, and when it, um, when it was difficult and the conversation was uh, about hard stuff that had happened in their lives. Um, anyone that was talking about that said, I've done work on this. Like I'm okay to talk yeah. about it. And if I paused and, and, or they were in the midst of, of doing that and, and handling and managing what was going on. Um, so let's touch a little bit more about non-binary then. Um, and what kind of findings or what kind of discussions were there that came up around that? 
Yeah, so non-binary was not in my call for uh, participants. And so it's absolutely a term that um, most of my participants were most comfortable with in terms of uh, identifying. Certainly one that by the time I was done a couple of interviews I was using in terms of um, talking with people about identity and probing for how it is that they identified and adding like gender non-conforming and non-binary into the mix in terms of, can you tell about me more about how you identify around your gender uh, identity? And I'd ask probe for those. And then if I was asking about sexual orientation, I would probe for like lesbian, queer, how do you identify? Um, what was really interesting is that when we were talking about being gender non-conforming or non-binary, people didn't say, I'm neither male nor female. People didn't say I'm more masculine. People didn't say I'm more feminine, more, more, it didn't come up. So in my, in the word cloud, when you look at the ways that people identify, they weren't coming in and saying, I'm not this, I'm not that, I'm this. This term non-binary seems to be something that people are quite comfortable using and certainly in conversation with me without having to identify what it means. So some of that is that I gave some signal to that in terms of using the term gender non-conforming, that it's someone that doesn't feel that they have to fit into those binaries. But um, what's interesting is looking at some of the theory around, so let's look at non-binary in the way that I've sort of, how it's defined Judith Butler and what she said in a book called Gender Trouble. Um, and I'll put, the, I'll put the link up. So she says, hence, when is one's gender to the extent that one is not the other gender, a formulation that presupposes and enforces the restriction of gender within the binary pair, right? So that's fascinating. She's talking about anyone. So she's basically saying that you're your gender to the extent that you're not the other gender. So this mm -hmm. idea of saying that I'm non-binary is starting right out and saying I'm neither, Right. So I'm not saying that I'm and, and so not even having the conversation where they had to say, you know, yeah, no, I'm not this. I'm not that. I'm non-binary. I'm not either. So that it's a really interesting way of sort of defining it. And then she goes on to talk about the concept of like gender being something that we construct or something that we do. And what's fascinating when you look at her work is she talks about it in terms of it being performance. It's something that we do or we carry out, how we dress, how we carry ourselves. Mm -hmm. When I would ask people to describe to me what it meant to be either butch or to be non-binary, they would say, you know, it's possibly the tone of my voice. It's a little bit lower. It's the amount of space mm -hmm. that I take up in terms of physicality or how much room I take up in the room as mm -hmm. I negotiate and navigate and talk. Sometimes they would talk about how they walked, that there's a, a bit of a comfort, a bit of a swagger um, that, that they would identify in terms of talking about their um, being non-binary. But the way that, um, that she talks about it in relation to sexual orientation, um, Butler, um, is to say that the heterosexualization of desire requires and institutes the production of discrete and asymmetrical oppositions between feminine and masculine. So it's the heterosexualization of desire, right? So now we're talking about like desire as a part of sexual orientation. So it requires and institutes the production of the discrete and asymmetrical oppositions between feminine and masculine, where these are understood as expressive attributes of male and female. So when I'm trying to figure out how non-binary also intersects with the idea of sexual orientation, this gives us a clue. So basically what she's saying is that being binary, male or female, is a part of reproducing or, or that idea of performance 
heterosexual desire. So when you see someone who comes into the room and is non-binary, is neither one nor the other, then the cue is, oh, you're neither binary. You're not performing or, or sort of um, pointing to heterosexualization yeah. of desire. So you are something else. You are queer you are homo possibly homosexual that kind of thing so this is really interesting for me when i'm looking at this idea of helix which of course is biology so a helix as i'm thinking of this identity and i'm i'm you know doing my hands and making this like sort of helix thing in each of those sort of where there are protein bars i'm thinking of different parts of this mm -hmm. identity as it tries to navigate this being mm -hmm. visible this being these two things um and so this idea of embodiment is one of the things that comes up. So I embody being visibly um, gender non-conforming, which is pointing to my sexual orientation. Fascinating. Because I've been trying to figure out, like, how do I say that they're entwined, but they're not the same thing? How do I say this is, you know, there's something biological happening in the way that you embody, but you also perform? Like, what is that? So you embody it in that you know, I have a body that is curvy. My participants talked about having bodies that were curvy, that they look like a lesbian and that they're women, that there's this piece happening regardless of how they identify, but it's signaling or signifying a binary, right? A, a sex slash gender, yeah. whether it's together or not. And we can talk more about mm -hmm. that at another time. It's signaling that. And yet the way that they are walking or talking or taking up space or whatever is non-binary. And so then, but then the question arises, how does that, what does that have to do with sexual orientation, right? And so then, so then what, what um, Butler is saying here is, is fantastic in terms of being able to, to point us to, all right, here's what it is. So we can talk about sex having a binary, you know, male and female. We can talk about gender having a binary being male and female. Um, but for my participants, what they came in is said, I'm non-binary. Um, and so this gives rise to this really interesting concept that if someone's not defining themselves, as you asked on the last podcast, by what you're not, they're pointing yeah. to what they are. That term mm -hmm. is pointing to what that is. And so that's one of the things that I want to talk more deeply about as we get into the rest of the podcast. So if you come into an interview, as these participants did, wearing the clothing of being non-binary, of being a person that isn't trying to fit into one or the other, that may be signaling some of some with the body and the shape and the, with the way we look, possibly with the clothing of something that is like refusing to be male or female in a binary because they embody these things. They're in this body that looks this way with these clothes that look this way. So if they're coming into interviews and coming into the workplace as non-binary, what happens then? And so that's the, the so those are some of the rest of what that helix is in terms of how people, because we're always looking for the process in, in, um, in this methodology uh, and grounded theory and constructed grounded theory of how people move through this hidden structure of the binary expectations that Butler talks about, that, uh, that other theorists talk about. So how do they do that from this embodied position and from not and from not actually saying I'm neither this nor that, having pronouns that might signal one or the other, or using they, them pronouns, or using she, he pronouns, which another participant did, which is amazing. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's sort of where we are in terms of identity. Have I missed any pieces? Have I left pieces out that are like big questions for you around how this, what came up? 
No, I don't. No, I don't think so at all. No, I think you've um, you've more than expanded on on the process and on what happened. But what will we? What are we going to be talking about in the next podcast? So in the next podcast, we're going to start getting into what it is like to be in the workplace. What's happened in the workplace? Um, some of the things that I probed for are: um, Can you tell me about the policies in your workplace that have anything to do with uh, gender identity and sexual orientation? Uh, ask them. Have you ever had to appeal to those policies? Um, to navigate issues in the workplace, things that come up in the workplace. Um, so yeah, let's talk more about what it was actually, what, what came up in terms of what it is to be this embodiment and of this non-binary uh, identity that signals both gender identity and sexual orientation um, in a workplace that sometimes has policies that deal with sexual orientation, sometimes has policies that deal with both gender identity and sexual orientation, rarely had policies that just dealt with gender identity. Um, and it was really fascinating, some of the things that came up. So I look forward to talking to you about some of the aha moments as a, as a researcher, and even with participants being like, yeah, yeah, oh yeah, this is a pattern. <laughs> That's fascinating. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay. <laughs> Thanks, Kat. Thanks for your great questions. <laughs> thank you uh, for thanks for um opening um opening more of the discussion and yeah thank you my pleasure thank you for listening to the gnc also known as the nb research project you can learn more about the research and the project at nbresearchproject.com and get involved in the dialogue about the work there